name is Dave Matchett, senior pastor here. Please introduce yourself to me or us later. We would love to get to know how to love you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If it's your first time, you're walking into a church that believes it. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We believe in the story of Easter that the tomb of Jesus is empty because sin, Satan, and death have been defeated by our Lord and Savior Jesus. And that can be true for you if you're saved by grace through faith in him. We believe it. We believe it. Well, it was Easter 2020, and it was the strangest day of the year for me. Easter 2020. For the first time in my life, as far as I know, on Easter 2020, I was not in a church building for worship. First time in my 40 years of life at that point. It was early on in the COVID pandemic, and we had not begun regathering for worship here. And so it was a very strange day. We woke up as a family, we had breakfast, and then we uh, watched a stream, the church service online. And then afterwards, we're like, what are we going to do? It's Easter. We don't smell like maple syrup because we missed the pancake breakfast. And the day was a beautiful day, and then all four of our kids went out to play. And then it happened, which made the day even stranger. Our oldest son runs in the back door and says, Mom, Dad, Ezra, who was nine at the time, Ezra fell out of a tree and hit a branch on his way down and landed on the ground, and and we don't know what happened to him. So we go uh, to walk outside and to see what happened, and he's hobbling back into the house. Don't worry. Uh, He landed on his ribs on that tree branch on the way down. It softened the blow. He flipped over, landed on his back, had the wind knocked out of him, and uh, we were scared. What happened to our nine-year-old son? So Easter Sunday, it was already one of the strangest days. Well, I spent that night in the hospital with my nine-year-old son. And once I heard that my son had fallen out of a tree, landed on his ribs on a branch and fell on the ground, I didn't know how far he had fallen from. None of the kids knew. My entire mind and heart went to my son in his pain. I gingerly, tenderly walked him to the car, put him in the car, asked him, are you okay? We drove to the hospital. Are you okay? We're going to get through this. It's going to be all right, buddy. We're going to get there. I'm going to take care of you. They're going to take care of you. We walked gingerly, tenderly into the emergency room and waited a while and got to the next room. And then when he went in for the x-rays or whatever they had to do, I think he had to do uh, one of those scans of his belly to see if any of his organs had been ruptured. While he was under that, every thought of my father's heart was, I wish I could take his place. I wish I could take his pain. I wish it had happened to me and not him. In his pain, in his suffering, all my father's heart and mind wanted to do and thought about was my suffering son. And fortunately, There was no permanent damage. He was okay. I went to bed that night thinking about my son and what he had been through. Because that is what a father's heart does when his children are in pain or trouble. That is what a father's heart should do. That is what our heavenly father's heart always does. 
If you have your Bible, will you please turn with me to Hosea chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11. We're doing all but the last verse of chapter 11. Next week we'll pick up in Hosea 11 verse 12, and we'll be looking at Hosea 12. In Hosea 11, normally in sermons we talk about what we should be thinking about God today. The main point of Hosea 11 is for us to understand how God thinks about you. Who does he say you are? How does he think about you? And it's glorious, beautiful news because he is a good, good father. I'm going to begin by reading Hosea 11. And I'm going to read all the way through verse 11. Hosea 11, verses 1 through 11. And before I read, let me pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for adopting us by grace into your family and for calling us sons and daughters, for making us royalty, kings and queens in your kingdom. Thank you that your son Jesus earned this for us through his inheritance, living a perfect life, dying in our place, and earning the forgiveness of our sins for everyone who calls on his name has been saved. Lord, this morning, open our eyes so that we can see what you think of us from your glorious word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hosea 11, verses 1 through 11. This is the glorious word of our Heavenly Father. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. Verse 8, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zebuim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God, not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria and I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. That's the word of Hosea 11 from our 
heavenly Father. Did you see the heart of God? Did you hear the mind of God? Our question this morning is, who is God? What is his heart like? How does his mind think? Who is he? Maybe you've heard a lot of stories of who he is, a lot of versions of God out there. Who really is he when he's thinking about his sinful people? In Hosea's day, generations of Israelites had run away. There was bloodshed in the streets. It was infidelity against God over and over and over again. What is his mind like? How does he consider his runaway children? And what about us? We all have run away from God. We all, from birth, have been sinners. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we'll see how God thinks about his runaway people in Hosea. But we're in the picture as well. We have sinned. When we've sinned, as we've sinned, if we sinned, how does the heart and mind of our Heavenly Father think about us? Who is he? And the first, most obvious answer from Hosea 11 is that God wants you to know that he is a father. God, tell us about yourself. I am a father. Jesus, teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, God wants us to know as his primary identity in our lives that he is a father and we are his children. Verse 1 of Hosea 11, it's right there. It screams at us. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of slavery in Egypt, I called what? My son. Israel was a child. I called my son. God wants you to know that he's a father. He identifies as a father in the lives of his people. I am a father. That is what God wants to be identified as. If you have called on the name of the Lord Jesus for salvation, if you've received that gift by grace through faith in Jesus, if you've believed you're born again, you are a child of God. And you have the only perfect father In the universe, you're a child of God. And if God wants you to talk about him, identify him as a father, that means he wants you to think of yourself as a son or a daughter, as a child of God. So he's a father. We're his children. What kind of father is he? Is he an angry father? Is he the lightning bolt thrower? When you picture him, you see this in in a cartoon or a comic strip. God's up there and he's got a lightning bolt ready to go. Soon as somebody sins, zap! Is that what you think of when you think of the word father? Or is he a passive, disinterested housemate? Yeah, he shares an address and a mailbox with you and occasionally you eat a meal with him. But otherwise, you have no clue who he is. Is he the kind of father who you only hear from when you need to do a chore or when you need to go to bed or when you need to do something else? Is is that the father we have? What kind of father is God? Verse 2 shows us what kind of father God is. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. So God calls his people. 
He uses their name. God says your name. When you have run away in sin, he calls you by your name. What do his people do? Well, they run away even further. And when they run away even further, God calls them by their name. He calls you by your name. He gave you your name and he uses it. The more and more they run away, the more and more he calls their name. But they ran away to other gods. So Hosea tells us that Israel was unfaithful. They've run away. What does God say to his children when they run into disobedience out the door? Does he say, good riddance? Does he say, don't let the door hit you on your way out? Is that what God the Father says when his children run away? No, He calls and he calls and he calls. And they run and they run and they run and we run and run and run. God calls and calls and calls. They kept running. He says, I kept calling. I never stopped calling your name. That's who he is. And on top of all that, listen to the intimacy of verse 3. God's children have run away. He's calling. They're running. He's sitting in the house. Picture it metaphorically. And he's thinking. What is he thinking of? He remembers this. This thought comes to his mind. Verse 3. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms. Even though they did not know that I healed them. God wants his people to remember how affectionately he thinks of them. Even when they have run away. I taught you how to walk. I took you up by your arms. This is something we can visualize. His children run away and God does not go to anger. He goes to memories of when they were younger. He says, I taught you how to walk. I picked you up by your arms. Okay, so I've taught four children how to walk along with the help of my wife, but I'm an expert. I've taught four children. I know what this is like. You take them like this, and I have to bend in half because I'm so t- My kids, when they're ready to walk, are a quarter of my size. You take them up by the arms, and you're walking with them. Dodge that Lego. Watch out for that Lego. Dad has to dodge the Legos too. We're walking this way, and I'm bent in half, and I'm teaching them how to walk. When God's children run away, his mind goes back to the day when he tenderly held their arms and taught them how to walk. That is so intimate. If you have heard a version of God out there in the news, in these stories, people saying who God really is, this is who God says he is. When my children run away, I remember when I taught them how to walk. That intimate father-child relationship. You fall while you're learning how to walk. You can do it. Get back up, buddy. Get back up. That's what God thinks of when God's children run away. And that means if you have run away from God, this is what he's thinking of. He remembered when he taught you how to walk by faith and not by sight. He remembers when he taught you how to open his word and hear from him. He remembers when you first prayed a prayer. And he remembers it with greater intimacy than you even remember it. God remembers when you have run away, when he taught you the baby steps of faith. That is where his mind goes. Verse 3 again, It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms. 
but they did not know that I healed him. Who is God? What kind of father is he? When we have run away, that's where his mind goes. That's what kind of daddy is. Now let's look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. This is the language of agriculture, uh, the cords and, and love and easing the yoke. They were slaves in Egypt. And God saved them, took them through the Red Sea into the Promised Land. And their job was going to be a lot easier when they were living with him and walking with him. I brought you from slavery, heavy yoke, work seven days a week in the Promised Land. You get a day off from work. And the job's going to be easier. I lightened their load. I freed them from slavery. Cords of kindness bands of love, and I bent down to feed them. That is not a farmer who mistreats his work animals. That is a farmer who loves his animals. Tender, caring words. And yet, the harsh reality of these being God's thoughts in the midst of his people's unfaithfulness were brought back to that harsh reality in verses 5 through 7. Look now at verses 5 through 7. All this tender, caring language in the midst of what? Verse 5. They shall not return to the land of Egypt. He's not sending them all the way back into slavery in Egypt. But Assyria shall be their king. Remember 722, Assyria is going to take over the north. So they're going to go into exile as discipline. Because they have refused to return to me. Verse 6. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. So let's stop here. Verse 7 reminds us of that fake spirituality we've been seeing all through Hosea. You can't fake it. You can't fake it. They're bent on turning away from me, but they're still calling out to the Most High God? It's that contradiction. It's that trying to do religion to earn God's favor instead of just running to the Lord for that relationship and making that the foundation of why you've received God's favor because he's given it to you, not because you've earned it. They're bent on turning away but calling out to God. That's like flooding your basement and asking God while it's flooding, Lord, keep my basement dry. Right? It's like taking a bunch of trash and throwing it on your kitchen table and say, Lord, help this be a nutritious meal for my family. They're bent on running away from God, but calling out to them. This is fake spirituality. They're shouting to God, my way, not yours, but keep me safe. That's what they're doing. And that's what sin does in our hearts when we run from God, when we sin. And so God is going to let them have the fruit of their running away. In verse 6, we see the language of war. They're going to be at war with Assyria, and they're going to lose. And verse 5 shows that they're going to become refugees in a foreign land. That's a just punishment for their betrayal. And so in 5 through 7, we go back to the harsh reality of Israel's unfaithfulness and God taking sin seriously. And then again, the heart of God leaps back onto the page. Look now at verse 8. It's like God's heart can't stop coming to the forefront as he's talking about his wayward 
children. Verses 8 through 11. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? And listen to this next line, the end of verse 8. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Verse 9, I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt. So one day they'll be back out of exile. And like doves from the land of Assyria. So one day Assyria will not be king over them. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. So God has wrath. Uh, My favorite definition of wrath It's a good definition, and it's a good word. Wrath is a good thing. You should have wrath towards evil and injustice in this world. My favorite definition of wrath is that wrath is a settled opposition to all that harms all that you love. Wrath is a settled opposition to everything that's harming the things you love. And so God sees his children. Their own sins are harming them, so he has wrath on their sins. Their enemies are harming them, so he has wrath against their enemies. Wrath is a fatherly, settled opposition to everything that's harming the children you love. And so God has wrath, but in verse 9, we learn that in his relationship with his children, the wrath is not going to have the final word. The final moment in your relationship with your Heavenly Father will not be characterized by wrath because He's your Father and you're His child. His perfect wrath will have its perfect place in the relationship, but it will not have the final word. Now, that's so different than earthly fathers sometimes, isn't it? I don't know your experience with a father, how you think when you think of the word father. I certainly know that as a father of four children, there have been moments and seasons where my wrath was the final word of the day instead of my fatherly, tender memory of teaching my children how to walk. But I'm a sinner as a father, and our Heavenly Father is perfect. And His wrath is not the final word for His children. What happens as the sins of his people grow? Look again at the end of verse 8. The sins of his people are growing. My heart recoils within me. My compassion, not my anger grows warmer and warmer. My compassion grows warm and tender. I think about this for a minute. We're talking about the creator of the universe, the designer of the oceans, the sustainer of physics, the one who decides which way the wind blows. And we read him say of his children, my heart recoils within me. This is not easy for me to discipline my children. My compassion grows warmer, more tender. Who is God? That's our question this morning. Who is God? He's a father. He taught us how to walk. He's kind. He bends over to 
feed us, his people. He can't give us up. His heart recoils when he has to discipline us. As our sins increase, his compassion grows. He's God. His main posture is not wrath. And he brings us home. Who is God? He's a good, good father, isn't he? Has there ever been a father like this? No. Only our Heavenly Father. Who is God? Even when we've run away, He's a good, good Father. That is what He wants us to know today. But there's a problem. We've sinned. And we forget that this is who God is. We forget. The forgetfulness comes out all throughout Hosea 11. Look at verse 2. The more they were called, the more they went away. So we forget how good God is and we run away from him and God calls, come home, come home, come home. And we forget and we run and we run. Sometimes we run even further. Verse 7. My people are bent on turning away from me. So God had a people, a family, who were committed to running away from him Who was he? He's a good, good father. And he was going to do something so that their running away from him would not be the end of their story. That is why we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is our permanent reminder that God is a good, good Father. We worship on Sundays because they found the tomb empty on a Sunday. So every Sunday is a reminder of the gospel that God was and is and forever will be our Father who taught us how to walk, who bends over to feed us, who as we run, he calls. And this gospel is made possible not by the actions of the people of Hosea's day, It's not like there was one Israelite in Hosea's day who actually succeeded in being perfect. Not in Hosea's day, but there would be one later on in the story. There was a perfect Israelite, Jesus. And he did what the children of God were supposed to do so that we could get what that child earned. The inheritance of Jesus Christ is all of ours. This restoration of sinners with a holy God is made possible not by our actions, but by the person and work of God's Son, Jesus. Look back now at verse 1. You see the echo there. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. When Jesus arrives as a baby that first Christmas, he relives the Israelite story. And Matthew quotes this passage in his gospel. Matthew 2, starting in 14. Listen. And he rose, that's Joseph, the father of Jesus, and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. So Matthew is saying that Jesus is going to undo the problem that caused Hosea 11. 
The Father's love for his people, he had a plan for it through his Son one day. Jesus relived the Israelite story and undid the curse because he lived a perfect life. He never ran away. Israel, in verse 2, runs away. The more they were called, the more they went away. But the story doesn't end with a runaway child. God the Father did have a son who never ran away, who loved God perfectly, who loved others perfectly, who obeyed perfectly, and who always remained faithful. And that son was Jesus. And that son paid for the sins of all God's sinful children, those who didn't love him perfectly, those who didn't love others perfectly, those who didn't obey perfectly, those who did run away and were unfaithful also that we, by grace, through faith in Christ, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus is adopted into God's family, and we get the inheritance of the firstborn Son of God, Jesus Christ. What he earned is ours. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When God looked at his people, his heart is recoiling. He's remembering the early days when he taught him how to walk. But God sees that we've sinned. How can God look at us and see righteousness? Because of what happened to Jesus, we can be made righteous. Christ makes us righteous by grace through faith. Yes, God will discipline us, but his heart is for us and it's secure. Listen to this, John 10. This inheritance that Jesus has earned for all of God's people. John 10, 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father had a plan to make sure that you, by grace through faith in Christ, could never be taken from his family no matter how hard you tried to run. And this inheritance is forever 1 Peter 1.4, into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And the inheritance covers everything. What did Jesus earn for runaway children in his family? What did Jesus earn? Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 4. This is earned, purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ in the plan of the Father for sinners like you and me. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Jesus earned through his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. He earned for you a day when you will never have a tear in your eyes again. And death shall be no more. There will be a day when there will never again be a funeral. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. All God's people who have experienced pain said, Amen. There will be a day when you will not have any kind of pain again. Jesus earned that for us, for the former things have passed away. If you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ, that is your inheritance. God is our Father and his heart, his mind is for you, not against you. Even if you've sinned, He remembers that he taught you how to walk. He has tender, loving, fatherly thoughts about your relationship with him and how it all began. Verse 2, Yet it was I who taught Ephraim 
to walk. I took them up by their arms. How does God think about you and me because of Christ? That's how he thinks about us. He's a good, good father. So this week, how are we going to live this out? How are we going to live in light of this good news? Well, let me make an offer to you. Maybe you're here and you've heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but, but you've never believed. You haven't received that. You haven't trusted in Jesus as your king. You haven't confessed your sins and repented and turned to him. You're like, you're, you're wondering, is this really true? All I've heard about God is that he's angry, that he hates, that he's mad all the time. He's got all these rules. I don't like him. Now you've heard what kind of father he wants you to know he is. And so today could be the day when you are adopted into his family. John 1.12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Believe in Jesus. And you can maybe for the first time in your life know what it's like to have a good, good Father who loves you that much. Believe. Believe in Jesus. If you've been running away this week and you realize I've been running away for a very long time and you're exhausted from running away from God, today's the great day to repent of those sins, to confess them, and to turn back to God. What will you find? Will you find that his anger has been burning and boiling and raging and gotten volcanic and more and more ready to explode on you when you run back to him? No. What did we hear? That as you ran more and more, he called more and more and his compassion grew warm and tender. He cannot wait to talk to you again. He wants it more than you want it. So if you've been running away for a long time, his compassion has grown warm and tender. Go back to him today. If you start running away this week, what will you find? Verse 2, the more they were called, the more they went away. Your God, your Father, will not forsake you. If you run this week, he will start calling your name. Because that's the kind of father he is. This is who he is. He's a good, good father. If you've been walking with him in a father-child relationship that has been characterized by sweetness and harmony and fellowship for a week or a month or a year, and tomorrow you're going to wake up, and again, before you get out of bed, you're going to spend time in prayer with him. Guess what? He is more excited about that time with you than even you are. If you're going to get up Tuesday morning and make a coffee and get your Bible and your journal out and spend time in the Word and prayer with your Heavenly Father, God has that on his calendar, and he can't wait for that time with you. That's who he is. That's who he is this week. Remember who God is. God is our Father by grace through faith in Christ. He took you up by your arms. He taught you how to walk. And because we have run away, he sent his Son to die so that you 
could be a son or daughter in his family. That's the kind of father he is. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. And if you are his, you are loved as a son or daughter like you could never imagine. Let me pray. Lord, we read of a sinful generation in Hosea 11, a people who have run away, and we see your heart leap off the pages. It recoils within you, knowing that you have to, at times, discipline your children. Your compassion grows warm and tender, and as we have run away, you've called our name. You taught us how to walk And you sent your son to die so that we could be your children. So this week, remind us every day of who you are and help us remember that we are who you say we are. Beloved children of a good, good father. Help us not only know that in our own hearts and minds, but help us share that good news with the world around us that there is a good, good Father. Help us live in joy this week as your children, for our good and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand.